You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Fun shows that we do, but in very informative shows, is Agent in Charge. And we have our favorite agent in charge, Mr. Sandy Bostic, and he was with... Um, our government wearing a badge for many, many years in different uh, areas of expertise, and his last was with Homeland Security, and uh, he did a lot for uh, on the uh, border issue, and now he's bringing a new light, and we wanted to talk about uh, how important it is to defund the police, and... Uh, be able to be able to call three one one and get a social worker at your door within the next day or two to break up the fight that uh, you and your neighbor are having. Um, this, you know, when I first heard this, I just you gotta be kidding, you gotta be kidding. This can't be, and uh, yet the uh, that twelve year old that calls himself the mayor of Minneapolis. He wants to do it, and, uh, well, now I think he's come out against it, actually. And uh, But their city council wants to do it, particularly their uh, chairman of the city council, who has had police protection in Minneapolis since April of this year. So she's she's going to find herself in a fix. She won't know who to call. She won't, she won't be protected anymore. But with that said... Welcome to America's Web Radio, and how you doing, Sandy? Good morning, Dave. I'm doing real well. Uh, yeah, I just, uh, I've had to shake my head when I uh, hear this defunding the police issue. It, you know, so much of what we've already discussed, you know, uh, about the reason this country has been so successful and people want to uh, invest money in the United States is because it's a safe place to invest because we don't have chaos. And so, like you said, I mean, who you got to call, you know, Ghostbusters? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so, uh, but anyway, so, uh, yeah, I just said, hey, just uh, real quick, uh, there was a, uh, before we get into this issue of defunding, I just, you know, I did have a question on, uh, uh, we were talking last time about what to do if you got caught up in one of these riot situations, uh, you know, unwitting and not knowing, all of a sudden you look up and you're surrounded by people with sides and trying to pull you out of your car and fighting your way out of there. So you successfully, you successfully fight your way out of there. And they, and the question is, okay, once I escape, then what do I do? What's my first move? And, uh, I mean, what should I do? And, uh, should I go hide? Should I call the police? And let's just go back to what we talked about in a previous show. We talked about the, the, the things that, that I learned as an agent that will that help me out and that will help you out in life. That has helped me out in life is that first thing you do, especially if you've injured someone or or, or, or caused any damage to some property other than your own, call a lawyer, call an attorney first. That's the very first thing you should do is call an attorney because, like I say, people have a tendency to talk themselves right into jail, and once you say it. You can't get it back. I used to always tell my agents that uh, there were three things in life you can't get back. You know, the bullets out of your your gun, the uh, words out of your mouth, and the emails and texts that you send. So once you say it, it's out there from now on. And so the police, understand the police are not out there to frame you, to put you, to get a stat out of you. They gather evidence. Their first first thought is if you are a danger, a possible danger to the society – to, to the community that they want to get you 
in a position or get you off the street so that the people are safe from anything else you might do. And number two is they gather evidence, whether it be for or against you. It's just evidence to them. So you're get you don't don't go out and get a an attorney that uh, that's a tax attorney. Don't get a a, a a social security attorney. Get you a good defense attorney. Do it immediately. Get their advice and have them contact the police for you and set up for you to come in and uh, and they'll and have you guide them guide you do it. That's your constitutional right to have counsel. So most people would call the police first, or they'd go into hiding. My advice to you is first thing is get an attorney. So any any questions on that? No, I think you made that pretty clear. And uh, but I, I would say that most people don't have a handy dandy uh, defense attorney right at their disposal. They may have a corporate or a personal or whatever attorney, but uh, a big difference with uh, defense attorneys compared to. Uh, other attorneys, corporate attorneys, and get you a good one. Like we talked about, you know, in, in in this country, I mean, you get what you pay for when it comes to attorneys. You know, so so the thing is, you should always have that. That should be part of your plan. We talked about always having a plan for 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 things that can turn about in life that that don't go your way, and that should be part of your plan. I know lots of good defense attorneys in the area, but I was in that business for a long time. I know the I've been courtroom with those guys, and and uh, and so I know who. Who I would call, and uh, but like I say, that's something that that you just just a few questions you can or just go online and see who the highest rated defense attorney is in your area. Have them always have their phone number handy, and uh, you don't even have to go in and meet with them and get a consultation pre of it previously uh, before the event. But but just have them on speed dial so there's something but something bad does happen to you, you can call them immediately and uh, and and uh, you know get their advice on what to do. So. So with that said, we'll go into we're talking about the police here, and and this falls in the same line, of course, and and this this great issue of uh, defunding police uh, departments across the United States. And uh, so when we talk about defunding police, you know, there's all types of, of course, it's hysteria. Like you and I talked about earlier, Dave. You know, it's it's so media driven right now that you don't know what's true and what's not true. And uh, what's really gone? What's not? What's really going on? And what I'm seeing, these uh, people that are protesting and, and wanting to defund the police. You know, to watch the news now. It doesn't matter which channel you're watching, whether it be conservative news or, or the liberal news, the fake news. And uh, but they're all reporting that the what you're they're, what they're showing is that these riots are huge and everybody is out to defund the police. All I'm seeing when I watch the actual footage is, you know, 20 to 30 people and uh, these groups. And then also, I mean, these little towns around here, I'm seeing a, a, a few protesters, and it's like two or three people. And so, you know, like we talked about, you know, fear and, and uh, fear is one of the main reasons people watch the news. And so uh, the media is really pushing this. But, but let's talk about defunding the police and what that would mean. And so... I just kind of give you a scope on on uh, give you some numbers. I said the, the truth always lies in the numbers, and uh, what uh, I want to talk about. I don't know much about Minneapolis. Uh, I've only been to the airport there a few times. It's a big airport, and uh, we were opening up a, a new internal affairs office up in uh, Minnesota when uh, I retired. And I don't know if they actually finished getting that, getting it open or not, or, or not. But anyway, that's all I know about Minnesota. But, like I say, let's talk about San Antonio. 
it was a town that I do know well and have worked in and, and know so a lot of people in the law enforcement business there. Uh, San Antonio uh, is a I believe the population now is a little over two million, and uh, I believe that they uh, okay. I know that their uh, their city budget every year, okay, or this last year is two point nine billion dollars. In other words, their city is cost their, to run their city with all the services two point nine billion dollars. Sounds like a lot of money. It is. Out of that $2.9 billion, okay, now I couldn't find the statistics that broke it down between firefighters and police. They just had them lumped up in one, one sum here. It costs $490 million a year to operate the police force and to operate their firefighting force. Their police force consists of 196 officers that are, that are you know, off probation, fully functional street uh, police officers right now. So you can say 200. So out of that, out of that, uh, 400, 200, 2.9 billion dollars, 16 percent of the total budget is spent on public safety, which would be police and firefighters. Just put it in perspective there. Any, any question on that? You, you, you have your mind wrapped around that, Dave? Yeah, you know, we were uh, talking yesterday, another show, about the fact too that in many cases. And I, I can't address San Antonio, even though I, I know San, San Antonio fairly well, but I can't address anything money-wise or budget-wise or anything like that. But with that being said, that many cities uh, use the police department as a revenue source and uh, to help pay their own salaries, you know, and this is right. the more, yeah, tickets. more tickets you write, <laughs> the better off we are. Yeah, criminal fines. So... Uh but uh, so okay, so we'll we'll break this down even further. We'll talk about what what a police officer makes. We were talking about defunding police today, and uh, an advocate right out of the academy, a San Antonio police officer, fully trained, is making four, a, a little just a hair over forty thousand dollars a year. That's when I add. I've I've actually been to their academy several times and did some training there back when I was a game warden, and uh, and also I was did some. Uh, we went to a couple classes there as a, as a special agent. They have a, a phenomenal academy and in, in, uh, in headquarters, and, and they they do do a really good job there. San Antonio uh, Police Department. I just you know I really uh, can't praise them enough. Most time, most time, and uh, we can discuss one particular occasion that I didn't really approve when I was still working. But other than that, for my ninety nine percent of my uh, dealings with San Antonio Police Department it was was always really good, and so. On the average, so between, so you're saying, so now a police officer, the, the, the salary range goes from 40000 a year out of academy up to $72,000 a year. That's what a patrol officer will make. That's pretty much capped out, okay? And I, I believe it probably takes them probably four to five years to get to that point, as most agencies do. Just put that in comparison, okay, a Texas State Trooper, and I was a game where we were paid the same thing. Now, I, I didn't make this much money because I, you know, I, I left the, uh, uh, Parks and Wildlife a long time ago, but uh, they make the same. And the Texas State Trooper makes seventy three thousand two hundred and eight dollars per year, and then four years out of the academy, they make eighty nine thousand two hundred sixty four. So they make a little bit more than the San Antonio Police Department does. Now to put that in perspective, you know your average special agent, which is what I was when I finished my career, was 50, you know the, the average rate they started out about fifty two thousand a year. And uh, your street agent makes up to one hundred forty thousand a year. 
And uh, what I was making as a uh, as a uh, supervisor, as a, as an ASAC, assistant special agent in charge, was about a little over one hundred seventy thousand dollars a year. So there is, we do get paid better. Those who wait about it. And so, to put that in perspective, and then you have you have all three there. Of course, you have you have the SAPD, San Antonio Police Department. You have the Bear County uh, Sheriff's Department, which uh, encompasses uh, the San Antonio area. You have the state police, and you have the federal agents. And so uh, San Antonio, under the protection of these different agencies, okay, it's a safe place to uh, to invest money and to work and live, uh, generates, and this is conservative. I think it makes more than this, but this is what they're reporting, $32 billion a year. In other words, the city generates $32 billion of revenue a year. So you think about that, that, uh, that uh, $490 million dollars, that they spend for public safety, you know, I didn't do the percentage on the $32 billion, but it's just a drop in the bucket. It's not that much. And so, put it in perspective, what's going to happen if you go in there and let's say they cut that police force down from 200 officers, which I was surprised. I thought they'd have more officers than that. That's a big town. And so, if you went in there and, and cut their budget and you cut the response time down and the number of officers who could respond, I think what you would see really quick is, is a, as a business person, you're going to see business leave that town faster than you can shake a stick at it. And, uh, in that, you know, that 30, $32 billion, I guarantee you, if you're, if you're to cut the police force in half within five years, you'd probably have about half that revenue. What do you think? Do you think that's a possibility? Oh, I think definitely is. And, um, we had a funny scenario yesterday that, uh, in Minneapolis, you couldn't get a U-Haul trailer if your life depended on it. That people are getting the hell out of Minneapolis as fast as they can, and that you all may pay people to take trailers back to Minneapolis, St. Paul's area. So, uh, you know, it's already, just the word of it is already driving people out of uh, Minneapolis. Yeah, so, you know... And, and I just, it is, it just, uh, amazes me. And we've, we've had this discussion, uh, before too about where this mindset comes from that, that they think they're going to solve. There are people who truly believe that they're going to solve society's or issues in this country by having less police and having open borders. And they just, I just can't see how the, the common sense factor can't, can't just jump up in your face and say, Hey, you're going to have chaos like you've never seen before. With, and, uh, let's uh, let's let so, everybody think about that, Sandy, and we'll take our first break and uh, hold that thought. And when we come back, we'll talk about chaos. The only one I liked was uh, the one that was the telephone was in the shoe. Be back right after this. <laughs> The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's D-O-C-S, the number four, patientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. Whether cruising the Strip in a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. 
You can keep your doctor, you can keep your plan, and every family will save thousands of dollars a year. I'm Ellen Deal, and if you've been hurt by the Affordable Care Act, you can email MAGA45CAG at gmail.com to see if we can help. Small business owners, individuals, families, and baby boomers, email MAGA45CAG at gmail.com for three easy questions to determine if you can get away from Obamacare. I'm a 20-year veteran of the insurance industry and here to help you for all your insurance needs. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. And we're back on Agent in Charge on America's Web Radio. And uh, they may call you back in uh, from retirement, but they couldn't afford you. <laughs> you know, I, I would not mind coming back from retirement if... Uh, I don't. Of course, I don't. I think my street days are over, and and uh, you know the days of of action are pretty much done for me. But I I would you know if, if I ever did have a request to come in and help a department or an agency to iron out some issues, you know, I would uh, I would love to do it. And uh, I haven't had any calls. Maybe I, maybe I'm not as important as I would like to think I used to be. <laughs> so, but anyway, but uh, but uh, it, so you know we we're talking about. Uh, the funding police departments and and the, uh, the in my opinion uh, it's a it's a ludicrous idea and uh, especially when you look at what the police departments you, even if you don't agree with them and don't like them because they write the tickets they make you behave uh, you have to look at look at it financially as to what they provide us as a nation and I, we just broke it down with San Antonio and talked about the numbers there and it's very obvious. That in a, a, a city that can generate the type of revenue San Antonio does, you wouldn't be able to do that if you didn't have safe streets. And then, believe me, San Antonio is not the safest city in the, in the United States, but it's a relatively safe, you know, city. And, and they have their crime problems there, like everybody else. But generally speaking, it's a safe place to do business and affordable place to live. And uh, so, it wouldn't be so if we if you reduce which i was like i said i was surprised that the police department only has 200 officers i was uh if you were say cut that in half i mean you would have half protection and i think you'd lose half the revenue in the city that it produces every year so talking about law enforcement and talking about police officers if you don't think it's a dangerous job and an increasingly dangerous job i mean run some just uh, some recent stats on you as far as officers killed in the line of duty in uh 2000 and 18, there were 56 officers killed in the line of duty. Felonious acts, executing arrest, or, you know, they were a uh, active arrest in, or involved in which they were killed. And uh, in 2019, there were 48 officers died as a result of felonious acts. Now, in 2020, this year, and we have, we're not even close to the end of the year, we're already up to 100 dead officers right now. And so uh, we've, you know, pretty much doubled what we did the last two years in the the first uh, six months of this year. The uh, average age of a police officer killed in line of duty is 45, and the average tour is 15 years and eight months. So they're not killing the young guys. It's just these guys that have been around for a while that really have the knowledge, you know. And believe it or not, the state that leads this year in in police uh, officer deaths is Texas with 20. And Mm -hmm. so... uh, so, you know, and so, like, you know, I talked about what I, you know, and I, I, I always, you know, I, sometimes I kind of hate to admit it, but, uh, but it, it is what it is. And, and, uh, I, I have a degree in journalism and I, but I put a lot of this 
you know what's going on the uh, the uh, chaos in the streets the uh, the uh, the rage that's going on uh, with 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 the uh, with the media with the, with the uh, the journalists who are out there fueling the you know flaming the the fueling the flames you know to keep this thing going because you know it makes good it makes it makes ratings go up and uh, it's kind of like they don't really care what it does to this country. And uh, I know that's something we weren't taught that when I went to journalism school back in Angelo State University. It started in 1979. It was uh, they didn't teach you that. It was you were taught objectivity and how to uh, you know report what really went on and let the reader make up their mind as to what you know whether it was right or wrong. So, uh, so anyway, any any comments or questions on on. Uh, how dangerous the job becoming a police officer is nowadays? No. The one thing I, I would say is that, uh, and we've been talking about this for, well, I've always done it, and uh, certainly suggest everybody else does it too. I did it back when I lived in Lubbock. Um, and I had a couple of good friends that were, were cops. And uh, every now and then I'd ride with them at night. And I think every citizen in the United States should ride in, in most city, most city police departments, if you sign a waiver, uh, you can ride with a cop at night or ride with them whenever you want to, actually. And um, I think it would be just like I, I've said about our House of Representatives or our Congresses, I don't think a member of Congress should be serving that hadn't served in the military. And the same way with the uh, police department, I think every citizen should ride with a cop and see exactly what they do. You know, and and, and there's a two-sided sword there, too. It's, it's very, you know, everybody kids about the cop. You know, where can you find a cop at Dunkin' Donuts? But, you know, there's there are times that being a cop is horrendously boring. You know, uh, stopping for a cup of coffee is the excitement of the night, maybe, you know. And then uh, the other time is that uh, they barely get through with one call and they get another one. And this this was true when I was an EMT many years ago, is that, you know, some evenings you, you didn't want anybody hurt. You didn't want a bad wreck or you didn't want somebody dying or whatever. But it could be very boring sitting around looking at your thumb or... The other times would be you couldn't you couldn't um, get one person to the hospital and you'd be headed back to the the base and you'd get a call to go someplace else. So there are two sides to that, but I think everybody should ride with a cop. You know that's uh, it's interesting you bring that up uh, about the uh, ride alongs and stuff and, and and how you know some nights nothing happens and our days and, and some days it's just you can't can't catch a break but we used to call it going you know when you get the call or all of a sudden you know you're you roll up on a bad thing we call it going zero to 100 miles an hour in two seconds and that's and basically what i'm talking about is that you know the stress this it is a a extremely stressful job there's a lot of health issues that related to police officers developed through the years including myself i mean I've, i've got some some orthopedic issues that that uh, you know stems from the stress and the physical stress I had went through all the years, and and uh, but in uh, in my hearing, you know, is just from the uh, all the, uh, the the loud noise and the guns and all that stuff, and and uh, but the uh, you know the stress level that, that uh, is one of the, what I've have been what I've read 
is that one of the hardest things on a police officers is the fact that they, you know, they, they do have to go from, from zero to 100 miles an hour on a regular basis in two seconds. And, uh, and then you're, you're expected to calm down, you know, immediately once the situation is over with. And, and over time, you get to where you can do that. Younger officers have a little more trouble with it, but it, it was seasoning you get to where you learn how to uh, control your emotions. But like my, my good friend, Ken DeClavis, Dr. Clavis says, the psychiatrist, he said, he said, he said, you can hide your emotions. He said, but they eventually have to come out. He said, no matter who, who you are, how tough you are, you know, they have to come out at some point. And so you see it, you know, PTSD among police officers now is con- on, on a, on a, steadily increase you know it's just in this this uh of course now it's more readily accepted that a person could, will have uh, mental issues with the job and uh but actually it's it's a uh we talked about that that you know you never know when you know that day is going to be your last day in, 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 a, in a profession that you love and it's you're really kind of torn as to what you know what's the best for you and your family so and it's stressful on families as well very stressful on them and uh but you know Interesting, just a side note, uh, we talk about the median ride-alongs. When I was in Del Rio, I'd been a supervisor for a couple of years already, and, and our special agent in charge contacted me one day, and he asked me, he said he'd been contacted by CNN. He said that uh, he said that they wanted to, uh, since we were in a in a, a time period there, we were had, had a lot of action going on, and we were catching a lot of uh, you know, loads of drugs, and there was a lot of, firefights going on down the border and, and a lot of things that were, you know, a lot of uh, media attention things happening. And, and so uh, CNN wanted to ride along with those and see what it was like. You know, back, this was back uh, right about the time that uh, Homeland Security was formed. And uh, in the time that that happened, you know, he called me. He said, look, Sandy, he said, uh, here's the thing. He said, uh, I'm going to leave it up to you. He said, he said, you know your business down there better than anybody else. He said, uh, they've requested it, but I said, I'd get with you first. And if you say yes, then they'll send a couple of reporters down. If you say no, he said, it's a dead issue. We won't do it. So the next day, I was said, I said, so let me think about it. Let me talk to the agents. And so the very next day, do you remember uh, in uh, Fallujah, there was a, a platoon of Marines. They were, when the, uh, the fighting was going on, the, the, uh, the war battle for Fallujah, these Marines were walking through a uh, building, and they had a, a reporter with them. And there was a, uh, a, a combatant, a, a, a terrorist there, a soldier, and uh, he had an AK-47 in his lap. And they couldn't tell if he was dead or wounded. And uh, his finger flinched on the trigger, and one of the Marines shot and killed him. Well, that was all caught on camera. And uh, in the... Uh, the Marine, I mean, he just did what he had to do. I mean, that's what he was trained to do, keep himself and, and his uh, and his fellow Marines alive. Well, if you remember, because, of course, the first thing that the media did, they went in and they played that over and over and over. And uh, so next, you know, the, the, uh, the I believe he was the uh, first sergeant that shot the uh, guy. Anyway, with the sergeant, next thing he knows, he's up on he's up on court-martial. You know, he, he beat the rap. He came out, he was justified. But if the if the uh, if the media hadn't been there, you know that would have never happened. And so, learning from the the Marine Corps lessons, I said no. I said you know we can do our job fine without the media right along. And uh, but that's why you have to remember about the media they're they're not going to report the story the way it actually happened. They're going to report it the way that they get the biggest ratings and they can cause the you know, the biggest uproar, which we see continuously. So. Uh, 
So anyway, that's just an interesting side point. Any, do you remember that, that when that happened in Fallujah? Vaguely, yeah. But, you know, uh, there's the old saying, um, blood reads, you know, and that's what right. they're after. And uh, if <laughs> it's like with the riots. If they were all peaceful protests, how interesting would that be to report at some point, you know? You report it, you report it, and they say, well, good, it's all been peaceful. Everybody can go home. And, uh, you know, the... If it bleeds, it reads, and every reporter right. wants to get it, you know, as uh, as exciting yeah, as they can. You know that, you know, like I say, because I didn't really. I mean, uh, I'm a I'm a uh, child of the '60s and '70s. I was a kid, young kid in the '60s, and a teenager in the '70s, and so I wasn't. Uh, I know you got a, a couple of years off. I won't say how many. <laughs> <laughs> but, so it's interesting that when I talk to you and our our, our buddy J. Roy. To hear your perspective of what was going on back then, because you guys were tuned in as, as, as young adults, and uh, so I know that this is uh, we, there's always been turmoil in this country. There's always been uh, you know the, the haves and the have-nots, and uh, but it just seems to me that there's just this increase. What and, and what uh, increase in, in rage, increase in hostility, and it seems like you know. Maybe I was just blind at the time all those years, you know, when I was between the ages of, of 19 and, and 40. But it seemed to me like our race our race relationships back in those days were better than they are today. And uh, I just don't remember, you know, I, mean, I know there were issues. I'm not saying there was a, a pristine time. It just seems to me like, you know, we've gone downhill in the last 10 years uh, faster than my entire life than has ever happened before. And so, what, what do you think? Is that is that do you have that same perspective, or am I, am I off base? Well, no. You, uh, part of the reason is you didn't have the instant camera there. You didn't have everybody with a uh, iPhone taking a video of what was going on. You didn't have anything like that. The closest thing like that, and uh, I really, I have no respect for him, nor do many veterans. Um, Walter Cronkite was one of the ones that kept adding fuel to the fire about Vietnam. And, uh, you know, many, many people praise him for being such a great reporter and great reporter when Kennedy was assassinated and all this. But Walter Cronkite did a lot of damage by having his crews, and this these were film crews, they weren't... Uh, the film crews would take the shots in Vietnam. They would uh, put them on a jet and get them back to New York as quickly as they could for developing and processing. And many times the editing was a little shabby, to say the least. But with that being said, he was the one that pushed, well, how many body bags do we have today? Well, we have 40 body bags today, and that's up two from yesterday. So the war is... Definitely not turning our way, you know. And he did the same thing. He just he propagated the war in Vietnam, and uh, he was not liked when he went to Vietnam for doing what he had done. And that was the first real insight into the power of the media and how it could twist minds. And well, we had riots today protesting Vietnam, and some of them got nasty, and they started throwing. Molotov cocktails or, you know, and this and that. And uh, the Chicago uh, 
uh, he covered the uh, Chicago uh, primary, and uh, you know the the media. One side of my fence, I love the media, and I love the news, as a matter of fact. That's what I really wanted to do growing up, and I did it during the uh, Kennedy assassination. But, you know, it just, the media has sold out, and it has sold out to the left wing, and what we're seeing today is, uh, in my opinion, is... uh, a left-wing media, and uh, they don't well, care about the like, truth. Like we, I'm sorry, go ahead. They don't care about the truth. All they care about is getting their person in office and keep him in a, keeping him or she in office. And uh, well, they're doing a good job. like we talked about, you know, just because it's in print and or you, or you hear it on television or wherever you see the, the media, you know, whatever reported, I'm not saying, you know, don't believe it. I'm just saying cross-reference it, because there's two sides to every story, and somewhere in the middle, the truth lies. And so, uh, the, the few times that I ever dealt with the media, and uh, or you know, the congressman that would make a, a an inquiry to my office, they were never looking for the real truth. They were looking for a soundbite that they could run with. And uh, and so, you know, and so we were forbidden unless you know until I became a, a got up into uh, upper management. They ever talked to the media, and and, uh, and then you know, usually it would be the special agent in charge, the great big boss. He would be the one that would do the addressing uh, to the media, to the you know. But for, but there were times when I, you know, especially when I was overseas, and, and I would get permission to speak to the media. And believe it or not, we actually got better. <laughs> we got more truthful uh, reporting from the Russian press than we did from the American press. And uh, so uh, you know, I know it's hard to believe, but it's true. And uh, but yeah, so that's what I'm saying. When you when you see these uh, stories and read these reports, you know, regardless of what the what the who the uh, uh, station or, or network is, you know, or source. I mean, read somebody else's too. And a lot of times you'll see the same event and you'll think, were these the two same two events? You know, <laughs> and they're just the, the the reporting is so different. If you don't believe what I'm telling you, and uh, so. Uh, Anyway, so you know that kind of goes into the second half of this because we're talking about talking about you know this. Uh, I don't think it's a nationwide movement I, to watch the media. You would think everybody in America wants to defund police departments. I really think it's just a very small few people. And uh, but uh, you know the uh, flip side of that today uh, is that Congress in and uh, reacting to what's going on. Uh, they're meeting both the Senate and the, and the, uh, the House of Representatives and trying to come up with legislation to refund, uh, to, uh, to reform state and city and local law enforcement. What, to me, what's so ironic about this is that, number one, Congress can't even control their own law enforcement agencies that they're in, in control of. For example, the FBI and, and what, what they did in regards to the spying on the, uh, the Trump campaign and coming up with all this uh, these uh, false information and politicizing their their jobs, you know, they can't even get them under control. But yet they want to tell the states and the cities how to how to reform their police officers. Well, you know, this uh, this is a communist movement, though, uh, Sandy. With that's one of the they want a national police force. 
and uh, that's pure progressive. Um, you can call it anything you want to call it, but doesn't that isn't that exactly what Russia has as a national police department? Oh yeah, no, that's that's true. I mean, they every Russian law enforcement is uh, they are corrupt. I mean, I remember one time I uh, had a request from headquarters. And they asked me, uh, they were asking, they were doing a report for, for the White House, and they wanted to know who the, the top four organi- top four criminal organization in Russia were. <laughs> and uh, I really had to think about it, and so I thought I couldn't come up with them off the top of my head, so I, uh, I called the detective I know with the, uh, with the uh, Russian police department, the Moscow police department, and I asked him, I said, as a Pavel, who's, you know, I asked him the question, who are the, Top four uh, criminal agencies and or uh, criminal agencies, criminal organizations in Russia, and he said the MVD, which is the National Police, the FSB, which is the like the FBI. Uh, he named off three more, but they're they're all the investigative. He named off the four, you know, major uh, law enforcement agencies there, and said those those are the ones that control all the crime. Yeah. <laughs> and, so, and he was serious. He wasn't kidding. He was serious. So. Uh, Anyway, so unfortunately, it sounds like we're kind of we're falling in the same track here. But but anyway, so you know, so we talk about so so what is a solution? I mean, that's the one thing we can sit here and complain about everything, and and you know the uh, the left's going to complain about this, the right's going to complain about that. So what is a common sense solution that you can do with these police departments? And I just jotted down a few here that, that worked for us. I mean, we didn't have a, a huge corruption problem with the uh, Homeland Security investigations. And like I said, I was fortunate enough, I got to work both on, in the uh, investigative side out, out in the field and knocking out the uh, drug cartel organizations and the smuggling organizations and the uh, you know the, the human traffickers. And, and uh, then I also got to work with the Internal Affairs for a number of years. My last assignment was in El Paso with Internal Affairs where I, I ran a, uh, a 12 uh, uh, state area with internal investigators and and uh, so uh, but you know and we talked about this in the last show the, the force continuum I mean that's something that you have to keep you know talking about and teaching not just every six months to a year you need to have your officers you know every time that you have a, a you know you have a group meeting you need to bring this up to them. Like we talk about the force continuum is where you use just the step above. For example, we talked about last time, you know, you stop somebody for a traffic uh, violation, you know, as long as they're compliant, you don't have to be, you don't have to be harsh. You don't have to be, you know, uh, uh, abrupt with the person. But if the person escalates, you know, then you have to escalate a point above and use your command uh, presence to make sure that they comply with the law, with, with, with the you're you're not the authority; the law is authority. You're just there to to you know enforce the law, and uh, so make it so. That the next thing is if they jump out and they want to take a swing at you, well, you pull out your either your baton or or your uh, pepper spray, and you use something like that to you know to defuse the situation. So uh, that's something that needs to be talked about all the time. And uh, especially with you know the older uh, patrol officers, the more experienced ones, and supervisors, every time you know you have any, you just bring it up and just say, especially in today's world, you know, just make that you know they've all been all every police officer is trained in the force continuum. It's not it's not new, but it's something that needs to be talked about. Now the thing about the force continuum is it's it's uh, 
it's it's a little bit different. You know, I'm I'm six foot one and weigh about two hundred twenty five pounds. So I've been the same size for a number of years. So, you know, I had more options compared to say a, a smaller officer that's uh, you know one hundred and you know seventy pounds and, and five foot eight. I mean, they don't have the same options that I have because I was physically more capable of handling a bigger person. So, you know, you, and that's one of the great things about the uh, the best police training I ever had was at the Texas Game Warden Academy. I mean, they really do a good job. And the Texas uh, Department of Public Safety, their, their trooper training is very similar. And uh, so that you really, they, they teach you when you leave there, you know what your abilities physically are. And so you know how far to push a situation and you know you know when to back off you really get trained it's a real physical academy and there's a lot of you know uh self-defense you know we used to box uh and and you really see what a real fight you know for your life is about and uh so uh that type of training needs to be held in, in every academy when i go when i went to the u.s customs academy as a special agent i was surprised that we had so little training in actual physical combat like that hand-to-hand combat and so you don't learn physical hand-to-hand combat as a police officer to to beat somebody up. It's to save your life and to be able to protect yourself. And so, uh, I was noticing they're talking about one of the uh, things you're talking about is not training officers to chokeholds and, and restricting tasers and stuff like that. And uh, but you know, in most departments, you're you're taught you only use those particular you know uh, techniques uh, that are that are possible life-threatening. When you're trying to say, when you're trying to save your own life or the life of one of your fellow officers, so uh, you know that's uh, the thing is, it's, it's 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 not so much you have to be retrained all the time. It's just it needs to be a conversation that takes place on a daily and weekly basis to keep it fresh in everybody's mind, so they're thinking about it. And uh, you know, then also now, like I said, I was with our internal affairs unit, Office of Professional Responsibility for you know I did two tours and uh, one three year tour and one two year tour. And uh, one thing that we did, uh, we were required, and uh, my my agents were, and as an agent, I was required to do actual, you know, uh, small group training, and we called them uh, ethics uh, uh, training, where we'd sit down, what we would get a group of agents together, and uh, we would, you know, discuss any new policy changes. Uh, regarding uh, behavior, uh, then I would just do what I would do more. Once we discussed the new policies that were out there, I would go into more detail and talk to them about actual cases. I wouldn't use the officers or agents' names that we had investigated, but I would use actual cases to show, okay, this is what this agent did. This is how they got in trouble. This is how you can avoid this in the future. Today, a lot of these police departments have replaced this same type of training with online training. It's faster it's easier and i can tell you if you've ever done any online training we used to call it the virtual university it was what what, what homeland security called the our online training i mean you take the same course year it's required once a year sexual harassment uh diversity you take the same course year after year you don't learn anything you're just reading and you're answering questions and there's no learning whereas when i would actually sit down with these agents and discuss cases with them it brought it home to these guys they realized hey you know, this situation turned in a heartbeat. This is what happened. And, uh, you know, they learn how to avoid those situations and they can ask you questions. And, and you know, obviously, and I had, I had the knowledge to discuss, okay, this is what happened. This is how it could have been prevented. This is what the agent or the officer told me, you know, so 
I suggest that you know the police departments uh, do more of that type of training. Have a good internal investigations, uh, internal affairs outfit that uh, within your organization, and have experienced people in there that not only go in and investigate you know corruption and and shooting incidents and, and things like that, but actually sit down with these agents, get them off that computer screen. Now let's talk about what happened and how we can prevent it in the future. Sandy, let's, these, uh, these, let's let people digest what you've just talked about, and uh, we'll come back to Sandy Bostic and more stories right after this. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, you probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. Whether cruising the Strip in a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. And we're back with Agent in Charge. And before we get started totally back, I want to remind everybody that at 8 o'clock in the morning is the Doctor's Lounge. We've been listening to what... um, law enforcement talks about and we're gonna in the morning at eight o'clock we'll be listening to what doctors are talking about right now and uh you know i just come through an experience um with a family member and our medical system is in deep deep trouble just like uh many other issues that we're finding ourselves in and uh the one last thing before we get back with sandy is and i i say this over and over and over again don't you dare go to the hospital without a family member or someone that is got all their marbles in the box and uh, don't let them don't let the hospitals do things that they're doing be sure that you've got somebody that understands and you know, there at some point, Sandy, I think they're going to be there, there. Will start being criminal investigations of hospital administrators, and um, you know, it's it's just it, unfortunately our medical system has been flushed, and the hospitals can uh, take a lot of the blame for it. So, with that being said, I want to get back to what you were talking about and uh, the fact that. And some of the training they're using, videos and all this. What effect do you think all these, and I, I really was disturbed my, thank goodness my two boys were not really big into, they'd rather be outside doing something, or, or I had one son that'd rather be uh, building something, a plane or whatever. 
but and they didn't really ever totally we had them but they didn't totally get into all the video games what effect do you think all these video games of shooting a, a cop and blowing up a police car what effect do you have do you think those kinds of games are having today for a long time you know we were appalled at the fact that you know i live just a few miles from southern springs where the the, the horrific uh church shooting took place was it uh two years ago where the uh guy uh he's a former uh air force airman walked in there with a, a uh with a uh automatic weapon semi-automatic weapon and killed over 20 with the parishioner on a sunday morning uh i told you this morning that uh uh some friends of ours, whether they're, they're, they're uh, just a few miles on the other side of us, they, yesterday they were uh, driving, they were riding around on a ranch on a, uh, on a large ranger, and it looks like they drove up on a drug deal. The investigation is still ongoing, but both uh, boys, uh, 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 cousins, they were uh, both, they were shot and killed. And uh, we, these video games, it makes, uh, and movies that we see, there, you just think about how much more violent movies are now than they were back when, in the 1960s and 70s when I started watching movies. And obviously this is going to, it changes the way we perceive life and, and, and the, uh, the, the value of human life. And so, uh, without a doubt, I know that video games have, have really, you know, especially the violent ones have, have uh, fueled, you know, more, not only is there more hate, but anger and resentment out there with the Internet, this gives people ideas on how to, uh, on how to deal with this rage. And rather than, than sitting down and, and uh, discussing and working things out, you know, you jump to violence. And we see it over and over again. And uh, especially in, uh, you know, as a uh, police officer, I would, uh, you know, I was as a game warden, I was normally out uh, enforcing game laws. I worked in a, a rural community out in West Texas, and I would help the, uh, the deputies on domestic calls because there weren't many police officers out there. And I was a peace officer, and, and, uh, and you know, I just... When you look at what goes on in, in homes today with these young people and the things that they do and young couples, you know, it's very obvious that, that movies and violent movies and video games has had a super negative impact on, on our society, without a doubt. And uh, Let me ask you another question that I just came to mind. And, you know, everybody's trying to, what's the answer, what's the answer, what's the answer? Well, you know, I, I hadn't... My last home and the home I'm in right now both have had or have good security systems. And uh, my alarm went off, and it was a basement door. And so instead of saying, yeah, I don't send a cop, I said, go ahead and send the cop. Let's find out what's going on. And uh, as it turned out, uh, some idiot that might be talking right now had uh, not locked the basement door as well as he should have and uh, a wind came up and blew it open so you know I couldn't fault anybody but uh, myself but with that being said uh, you know what what would you think about more arm and everybody is armed with a camera if they use it but we can't I couldn't pick up my telephone if something were happening in the car for fear I'd get arrested because I was using my telephone, you know? So it's sort of a two-way street. But what about more cameras in cars, more cameras at home, more cameras everywhere? Like the cop that came when when the alarm went off, he said, you know, nobody's going to break into your house. You've got 
alarm systems and signs that you have an alarm. And then also in the neighborhood that you live in, the bad guy knows that you probably have one or two weapons. And uh, they're not going to, they're going to pick on a, a soft target, not a target like yours. So what if, what if everybody knew, well, if I do something, my picture is going to be taken? Well, you know, that would be a deterrent as long as you have a Justice Department and a Police Department that's going to enforce the law when they see it, when they collect the evidence that, that, that there has been a law broken. If we go in and defund these police departments and you have fewer uh, police officers and uh, are no police officers, that's like they say in Minneapolis, they don't want a police department at all, uh, it's a moot point. I mean, you can have all the pictures of the world, but you got to have someone there to enforce the law. And so uh, it's, it's going to depend, you know, you know, from city to city. I know for, for sure, in this, in, uh, I, I own a home in the Brothels, and, and like I say, we, we spent a lot of time over Seguin, and neither one of those towns are going to, they're not going to defund their police department. They're not going to get rid of the cops. They, everybody understands how important they are. And so in a city like, you know, either one of those two towns, you know, the more cameras, the better. Of course, at the same time, you got to remember that, you know, not only does that camera record the criminal, it records your reaction as well. So if you ever are in a situation where you have to defend yourself or you have to uh, uh, take action against someone, I mean, you're on camera, too. And so, uh, you know, it's a two-way street. But like I say, the thing is, if we go down this road where we're going to have fewer police and, and less, and like we talked about, you know, the training that uh, that I suggest that, that uh, we give, you know, police officers, not so much training; it's just reiterating and keeping in mind what they've already been taught. And uh, but if we if we cut funding, now you're going to have less time, less training uh, for these officers. And so uh, you know, it's it's, it's going to be a, a moot point in these towns that, that don't want to have police. You can have all the cameras in the world, but if there's nobody there to enforce the law, it doesn't matter. And two, on the flip side of that, I mean, you kind of now it up to Andy. You need to know what what your, what the law says in regards to you defending yourself, and that goes from state to state. And uh, I know in Texas, if uh, we haven't changed the law, that if, if a person is, is, is if a person is committing criminal mischief on your property at night, you by law are allowed to use deadly force to stop that person. Or if the person still, say, for example, your vehicle or some property of yours, and there's and you know that there's no way that you're ever going to recover that property, now, you have to articulate this when you go to trial, but you are allowed to use deadly force to stop that person from taking your property. Now, not, not all states are like that. Texas is, is, is unique uh, compared to a lot of states in that we just know we like to... Uh, be more individual and in, in protect in, in our own destinies and protecting what we have, and uh, but like there are states that uh, you know, I, I know, for example, in Maryland, just uh, just pulling a firearm on a person is a felony. I mean, okay, what doesn't matter as long as have you know if you pull a firearm on someone, even if you try to defend yourself, unless you can really articulate that person is going to was going to kill you. I mean, there's a pretty good chance you're going to go to jail. And so, uh, so anyway, does that answer your question? <laughs> More than I wanted, actually. <laughs> I, I, well, I, me, you always, well, I like that Geico, uh, uh, what is it, that guy, a fallow battery? For me, you get more. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I thought I'd come across a fairly good idea, but, yeah, you know, you're right. And it does, and the biggest thing that you said is it, it takes, takes a picture of both sides of the coin at the same time. And, uh, 
you know that can right. be that can be rather incriminating as well. Right. So you know, back in, it wasn't that many years ago. Uh, they uh, nobody had dash cams. Police officers didn't have dash cams, and most of them didn't want them because it was understood that a police officer's uh, word was was golden. And uh, and there and a lot of uh, you know uh, courts did not want to see anything. Well, they uh, let me rephrase this. Whatever that officer said, they took it as, as uh, you know, as being the truth. And that's not so anymore. They, uh, I mean, because we're so conditioned to these movies and shows like, you know, CSI Miami and stuff. I mean, people want to see that same type of evidence. They want video recordings of this and that and all this forensic stuff done. So things have changed. So I, I can see now why uh, it not only does it protect the, uh, does it show what happens, you know, a police officer wearing a body cam, a, uh, a, uh, a video camera in the car. It shows, you know, you, you, what to say, a, a picture is worth a thousand words. Sure. And so, uh, you know, what you see there is definitely evidentiary. And so uh, it is pro- it's, it's a good idea to have those now because of the way the world is and, and the fact that, that there is such inaccurate reporting going on. And so, uh, but, uh, yeah, you know, but like I say, it, it has changed. I mean, back when I first started testifying, I mean, the, the fact that I was an officer and, uh, and I had never – uh, you know, been found to be uh, untrustworthy on the stand, and that I had a good reputation for honesty. That was really all it took when you went to testify. You, you had to have the reputation as long as you had it. I mean, you were pretty. What you said was pretty much, uh, pretty much believed and, and understood. And so, you know, as long as you didn't do anything to tarnish that, then you didn't have any issues. But that's not the world we live in today. No, and unfortunately, the world that we live in today is changing rapidly and continually and uh, you know I wish I I wish I could find some optimism and I I really have been looking for it because I'm an optimistic type person that's why I have a radio station that's why I do it on my own you know and and uh, yet it's you talk to the more and more people because I'm, I'm interested in people and what they're going through and uh, it's getting scarier and scarier and uh with that being said, we're going to have to uh, ask people to stay tuned for next week and more of Agent in Charge with uh, Mr. Bostic. And uh, I love your stories, Sandy. They are they are fantastic. And I, I and guess they're true. They're true. Yeah, and they're true. <laughs> Heaven forbid. With that being said, we got to put the plug in the jug and get out of here, folks. So take care. Have a good weekend and. Uh, We'll see you and talk to you next week on Agent in Charge. And by the way, you can send Sandy an email, sandy at americaswebradio.com or general manager at americaswebradio.com with any of your questions, and we'll be glad to pass them on to him. So take care. Have a good weekend. Sandy, you have a good weekend. Don't step in any holes. <laughs> I'll try not. <laughs> I yeah. sprayed my ankles. You're wondering what he's talking about. So it happens. <laughs> Well, I wish I had a better. I wish I had a better story, but I stepped in a grass-covered hole. <laughs> <laughs> well, look at how scared the rabbit was when you that foot, that twelve number twelve foot came down towards him. You know, <laughs> that would scare anything. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. We'll see you next week, Sandy. It was Take a care, great Dave. show. Bye. Thank you. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.